History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 325th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, we are going to be sharing our experiences that we had in Roswell, Georgia. It was an amazing trip. It was a lot of fun. We were up in Atlanta back in October. Many of you who are longtime listeners probably remember that I was up there as a part of She Podcast, and we squeezed in some fun things that were not anything about podcasting, but a lot about hauntings. <laughs> Definitely. And we actually had some listeners join us on the ghost tour at Roswell. I know. It was so much fun. And the interesting thing about Roswell is the minute you mention that name, people, of course, think UFOs. <laughs> yeah. Where are the little green men? <laughs> yes. Roswell in New Mexico. So this is another Roswell it's a really cute, wonderful little town, and we had a great time on our ghost tour. We're going to be sharing little bits and pieces of that with you and telling you about the haunts. Before we get into that, we do want to let you know we did change things over on our tiers at Patreon. So now at the $1 level, you get a shout out and you have our thanks. Starting at $2 and above, you're going to start getting an HGB logo sticker and then for those of you at $5 and above, you're also going to be getting a magnet. So sticker and a magnet if you're at $5 and above. And these are things that everybody already got at Christmas time. So we've got everybody caught up except for anybody who is signed up in January. I have you on a list. I'll get you taken care of. All right. We want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Benjamin, Jamie, Darla, Maria, Sherry with a CH, Chiffon, Karen, Heather, Renee, Tony, Darren, Frank, Stacy with an EY, Carla, Sherry with a Y, and Tiffany. Welcome, everybody. And now, this moment, Naughty. Today's moment in Oddity was suggested by Chelsea Williams. Imagine declaring war on emus and then losing. That's exactly what Australia did in 1932. The term war is not used as a hyperbole here. Real weapons of war were employed during this futile attempt to lower the population of emus. Apparently, emus had moved inland in record numbers to begin their breeding. This was at a time when the Great Depression was in full swing and farmers were having a hard time with their crops. Farmers complained to the government, and the government decided to enlist the help of some World War I soldiers. The soldiers came ready for full battle, toting machine guns. They assumed that they would have to just fire into these huge flocks of emus and be done with the task quickly. But that's not what happened as documented by ornithologist D.L. Cerventi. He wrote, The machine gunner's dreams of point-blank fire into serried masses of emus were soon dissipated. The emu command had evidently ordered guerrilla tactics, and its unwieldy army soon split up into innumerable small units that made use of the military equipment uneconomic. 
A crestfallen field force therefore withdrew from the combat area after about a month. Very few emus were dispatched, and they are plentiful today. So, basically, the emus won the war, and the fact that this was dubbed the Great Emu War certainly is odd. Grab your slippers, hot chocolate, flashlight, and maybe even that baseball bat. And now, this month in history. January on the 25th in 1971, Idi Amin deposes President Milton Obote in Uganda. Idi Amin had been a Ugandan military officer who started his military career in 1946 when he became a cook for the King's African Rifles of the British Colonial Army. He quickly rose in rank and after Uganda would gain its independence from the UK in 1962, he became the commander of the army. He used his position to misappropriate funds and enrich himself. He found out that the president was going to arrest him for this activity, and he decided to head a military coup. After deposing Abode, Idi Amin would declare himself president and start a reign that would lead Amin to being nicknamed the Butcher of Uganda. He would rule as a dictator, not president, from 1971 until 1979. During that time, he expelled all Asians and ordered the execution of more than 300,000 tribal Ugandans. There are some who put his murderous streak at 500,000. There was political repression and rampant human rights abuses. He would finally be ousted in 1979 by Tanzanian soldiers and Ugandan nationalists. In October of 2019, we met up with some listeners in the town of Roswell, Georgia, and took a ghost tour. This is a charming southern town where one can carry a roadie as they traverse the graves in Founder Cemetery or walk past the beautiful antebellum mansions or roam through the ruins of the mills. This town was Teddy Roosevelt's mother's hometown and played witness to some of the horrors of the Civil War. The spiritual residue is thick, not only from the battles, but Roswell sits alongside a deep gorge and fault line. Does the electromagnetic energy of the area attract spirits? Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of Roswell, Georgia. Roswell Ghost Tours has been hosting tours for almost 20 years, and we really enjoyed our tour guide, Alice. The tour was started by a guy named Jack and then taken over by a woman named Diana Avina, and she wrote the book Roswell, History, Haunts, and Legends. Chip Coffey wrote the foreword and was going to be on the tour that ran after ours. I remember when we heard about that, we were like, oh man, maybe we'll see him in passing. I know, I was so looking forward to that, but unfortunately, it wasn't meant to be. So clearly, because he was going on this tour and has been on it before and wrote the foreword for the book, he's a big fan of this place. I would imagine so. Diana has sold the tour, but everything about it is still based on her expertise on the town of Roswell. Kelly and I were joined by Tammy and Brian Burroughs. They're always hanging out with us. We have so much fun with them. And we got to meet Christy Bacon in person and her family. I know. I was so excited to meet them because I already felt like I knew them. 
Exactly. We have a real affinity for uh, Christy. And so we got to meet her husband and her son and daughter. And then her daughter had a little friend along too. Yeah, I think her daughter was a little bit hesitant. But as the night progressed, she seemed to get more comfortable. I really enjoyed her son, Connor. He was, what was he, 12? And he was really into history. He was so into history. He was a wealth of knowledge. He knows his stuff. And he, he would ask me like, well, what kind of history are you into? And I was like, well, all of it, I guess. I've never had anybody ask me. <laughs> I know. We met under a gazebo in a park for introductions, and then we were off. In the intro, we mentioned a roadie. Roswell is one of those cities that allows to go cups, and that's their nickname for them. We won't mention if anyone in our exact party had a roadie, but uh, (laughs) there were some roadies being toted. There were. For you and I, Kelly, we opted not to carry one because, well, Kelly and walking. Hey, now. I like that I'm in good company with Tammy, though. What's that? I'm in good company with people that trip and fall. (laughs) Well... She'll trip she in front of me. you so you won't have to. Well, I'll have some cushion. There you go. <laughs> Don't let him on top of Let's hope plan. not. Let's hope not. Watch the step. Yeah. Watch the step. Watch the step. This is a huge group for them to hold together. Oh, I know. I'm glad they have a good speaker on them. I think I've been on a group that's been as big as 50, though. So. Really? Yep. Is this working? Everyone can hear me? Yep. Right. It moves, but just be like Alice. It's Alice. It can be all speaking. Alice! I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> that, there you go. You, you're going to be my best friend. In <laughs> Thanks for calling me out. <laughs> well, you do occasionally trip over your feet. Probably more than my own share. However, I was in good company that were looking out for me <laughs> the entire night. That was true. Alice was amazing. As you guys heard there, she was just a lot of fun. Her side gig is probably doing the ghost tour. Her main gig is being a stand-up comedian. So we got a lot of that. Yes, she was very entertaining. This was actually my second visit to the town. I had visited back in 2014, and at that time I just wandered through the old Roswell Cemetery. Roswell's first Methodist church was built on this plot in 1836. The church was an original log cabin-style structure with stone steps, and the earliest pastor of the church requested that he and his wife be buried as close to the spot where the original pulpit stood and that their graves be marked by two of the stones from the steps. The cemetery was probably founded at the same time as the church, but the earliest burial that can still be deciphered was in 1846 and was that of a four-month-old little girl. The cemetery has 1,950 known burials. We wouldn't visit this cemetery on the tour, though. We're going to visit a different one. Definitely a reason to get back, however. Yeah, they're always very cool to check out. Roswell is about 30 minutes north of Atlanta, and while it has a small town feel, it's actually the sixth largest city in Georgia. The architecture is unique, with New England influences added to the Greek Revival styling. The town gets its name from Roswell King, who came to Georgia in 1788. He got involved with cotton, lumber, and rice and worked as a broker. He married his wife Catherine in 1792, and the couple would have nine children. There was talk of gold in North Georgia in the early 1830s, and Roswell wanted in on that action. This coincided with the Native American groups being run out via the Trail of Tears, and a lot of land was up for grabs. This was a rich area that the Native Americans had referred to as enchanted land. Roswell bought up land near Vickery Creek, and he built a textile mill. 
Several other families with wealth had joined him, the Dunwoodies, Pratts, Smiths, and Bullocks, and they would establish a mill village. There would be a center street through town, and on one side, the rich families built their antebellum mansions, and on the other side, the mill workers and slaves lived. Roswell would die in 1844, and 10 years later, the town would be incorporated. I wonder what Roswell, New Mexico is named for. I honestly don't know. Because I find it really interesting that this one is named after a guy. So I wonder if there was another Roswell that had that name that went to New Mexico. Family member? Yeah, because it's such a unique name. Or maybe we think it's unique because it's connected to the UFO thing. True. Sounds like a rabbit hole. <laughs> it we does. need to go down. <laughs> <laughs> the mills were key for the South, so they could process cotton without sending it north. Mill workers were little more than servants receiving poor pay and treatment. They were paid in script, leaving generations of families in debt and basically forced to work in the mills. In 1840, the Roswell Manufacturing Company would open two mills that would be burned down during the Civil War. They rebuilt and the mills were open until the 1970s. In 1853, Roswell had two cotton mills, a woolen mill, flour mill, and tannery. In the middle of the historic mill village in Old Mill Park on Sloan Street is located the Lost Mill Workers Memorial. The women and children of Roswell had to take over the running of the woolen mill near Roswell's covered bridge because the men had been sent off to fight in the Civil War. This mill was responsible for making the Roswell Gray that was material used to make Confederate uniforms. General Sherman sent General Kenner Gerard with 4,000 troops to capture Roswell's covered bridge, which would threaten the Confederates downstream on the Chattahoochee River. I love the name of that river. I know, it's so interesting. <laughs> it is, and I think Alan Jackson sings a song about the Chattahoochee River. I believe so. But yeah, I just love it. Gerard did just that, and he discovered what the mills were doing and reported this back to Sherman, who ordered that the families be run out of town. Many of these families would never return to Roswell. The memorial is dedicated to the 400 women and children charged with treason and run out of the town. Some didn't survive the trip as they were forced on foot to Marietta and then shipped out by boxcar with little rations. Because they were poor, they would never be able to pay to return. Most would never reunite with husbands if they had survived the war. Many Northerners were outraged by this action. The screams of the women and children seemed to have locked into the mills. There are people who claim to hear these screams like some kind of residual energy. We stopped for a restroom break in this park and Alice showed us a picture taken on a tour. And it looks like you can see a figure in a uniform with a sword standing near a woman whose husband had snapped the picture. You could clearly see that she was throwing a shadow, but this figure was not. Do you remember that picture? I do. That was an amazing picture. Yeah, most pictures that we're shown on tours, I'm like, mm, okay, a lot of orbs, that kind of thing. Truly. Or weird reflections in a window. Yeah, that, that's a lot more common. This one was exceptional. Yeah, all they had done to touch up the photo was lighten it so that it was a little bit easier to see the darker figure. But right. it sure looks like somebody's standing there in some kind of uniform and he's not throwing a shadow exactly. from the lamplight. That's the biggest thing is the lack of shadow. Exactly. And so it's like, I don't think that was just some guy dressed up. I mean, first of all, why would he be dressed up standing in the park and with a sword and everything like that? But even if it was, where's his shadow? The Union troops hung out in the city for 12 days and took over many of the antebellum mansions. It is believed that they didn't burn the homes because they had occupied them. The mansions have been restored and many of them can be toured. We will touch on several of them. Roswell survived the war and the Great Depression and has bounced back really well. Now it is one of Georgia's largest cities, but it still has a homey feel. For a place with a small town feel, Roswell has more than its share of ghosts. 
Vickery Creek feeds into the Chattahoochee River, and water is a great conductor of energy. But there is even more here. In our episode about Kentucky caves, we talked about these deep caves being places where spirit activity is high. The Hellier series by the Planet Weird explores these theories of unexplained things hiding in the cold recesses of caverns. Roswell has deep gorges along Vickery Creek, with some areas diving 300 feet deep. Add that a fault line runs beneath Roswell, and you have the beginnings for reasons to have high levels of paranormal activity. But there are also the personal ghost stories that have come about because of tragedy. This first tale is a tough one, and we will try to relate it in a less graphic way. Blanche Lowe Sr. and Jr. lived together in a home along Main Street about 300 yards from the town square, and this is where we actually met up for the ghost tour. Apartments now stand where the home used to be located. The mother and daughter enjoyed getting dressed up in their 1940s finest and heading out for dinner and a movie in Atlanta every Saturday. Eventually, Blanche Sr. got Alzheimer's disease, and at the time it was hard to find care. Blanche Jr. worked in Atlanta, and she always worried about her mother wandering. The two Blanches loved dogs, and they took in many strays, and Junior hoped that the dog's company would help settle her mother. But if you guys know Alzheimer's disease, people who suffer from it wander no matter what you do. I worked in an Alzheimer's care facility for four years. This was back in the 90s when they, you know, didn't really understand it as much, and sure. some of the centers weren't quite as nice. I mean, this was a, wasn't the nicest place, let me put it that way. Gotcha. And we always had to make sure that we locked every door behind us. Every yeah, I would imagine had to be locked because, you know, you felt bad about locking people in, but we just couldn't let them get out because they yeah, lost too large of a risk. Blanche Jr. decided that tying her mother to a chair would be the best alternative. I can't imagine that being the alternative. That oh, you my have. word. Every morning she would tie her mother in the chair and then free her when she got home. One day, Blanche Sr. cut herself and was bleeding enough that it attracted the dogs. We won't get into details, but when Blanche Jr. got home, she found her mother dead just tragic. And now that tragedy has left the residual image of two women dressed in their 1940s best, standing on a corner at the north end of the town square, waiting for a taxi. That's so sad. It is. You know, you just don't know what do you do in an instance like that. It's easy for us to judge someone, but care costs a lot too. Certainly. And they didn't really have a lot of alternatives. And I back then, imagine. I don't know that they had, you know, they've got all these wonderful visiting angels and other in-home care sure, and things sure. like that. Yeah. All right. So Barrington Hall. Barrington Hall was our first stop on the tour and has been named one of the 50 most beautiful homes in Metro Atlanta. This mansion was built in 1842 by Barrington King, the son of Roswell King, and he chose a spot on the highest hill in Roswell. The style is Greek Revival, which is clearly visible in the 14 Doric columns. And materials used in the construction included termite-resistant heart of pine and virgin pine that was aged two years. There is a three-sided piazza as well, and everything was designed by architect Willis Ball. Barrington and his wife had 12 children, and nine of them survived into adulthood. I can't imagine having 12 kids back then. Both Barrington and Roswell died in this house. An interesting story connected to Roswell is that a slave was told to sit with Roswell's body until his wake. In the middle of the night, the corpse let out a bellow that scared the poor man keeping watch so much that he jumped up and fell out of the upstairs bedroom window, breaking his neck in the fall. Yikes. 
of course, back then they didn't understand decomposition. I was going to say it had to be the gases. I'm sure. Oh. Barrington had died at 68 from a kick that he received from a horse. His wife, Catherine, stayed in the home and died here as well. So we've got three family members who've died here so far. Her daughter, Eva, had married William Baker, whom was a pastor, and they moved into the house to care for Catherine and then stayed until Eva's death in 1923. Eva had left the mansion to her children. They wanted to sell the place, but Eva's favorite granddaughter, Evelyn Simpson, wouldn't hear of it. She managed to raise enough money to buy the property from the rest of the family, and she kept it until she died in 1960, and her sister Catherine took over care of the property and adopted a good friend named Lois Carson so that Lois could inherit the house when Catherine died in 1995. We're not sure if there was some kind of stipulation that the house could only go to a family member or something. I can't imagine adopting an adult so that they could inherit your house. Yeah, that was really interesting. But clearly, they wanted Lois to have it. Yeah. She died in 2003 and gave the house to her friend, Sarah Winner, who refurbished the horsehair plaster walls and heart of pine floors and restored furnishings and paintings. She then sold the house to the city with the agreement that it would always be a museum. So this house has pretty much stayed in the family's hands the entire time. That's pretty fantastic. You don't see that very often. No, not at all. Our group took a picture in front of this mansion altogether. We got to go up on the porch where the young man died and peer in the windows. The inside looked beautiful. Alice told us some of the ghost stories connected to the house. The first being about the slave who fell through the window. Now this same slave has been seen uh, walking the property. He has on light pants, a white flowy shirt, and a red bandana. And he can also be seen walking up and down King Street. But now on King Street, there's houses. And if they have a basement, then they only see a head coming through their living room. But if there's a crawl space, they see a torso coming through their living room. Does that make sense? Because he's on the land in 19th century. Okay? Then Alice told us this hilarious story that happened to her during a tour. So this is the same scene I had. All the lights were off in the house. This is my scariest moment on one of these tours. I had about half the amount of people. And all the lights were off, and that's for Barrington Hall. And about 10 of the people in my group gasped all at the same time. And they're like, the curtains just moved right above here. Okay? I didn't really want to turn around. I had just told everyone how surly and how no one liked Roswell King. And I was like, oh, he's coming to get me. And then they're like, and there's an arm coming down the stairs. This lady screams. And I'm about to just plow through everyone. <laughs> She's I don't like, get not to save my own life. Okay? You're all adults. <laughs> Take care of yourself. They were having an investigation. They didn't tell us. And it was one of the investigators peeking out. And then they were walking down the stairs to come talk to us. But I might have, you know, tickled in my pants. So, Kelly, she might have tinkled in her pants a little bit. (laughs) It's a great ad for Depends because you never know. (laughs) You see a spirit, you might tinkle. (laughs) But you can only imagine you're standing outside with a tour group and you're telling them ghost stories. And then all of a sudden they look up and they're like, something's coming down the stairs. Yeah, that would definitely freak me out. You don't really want to have your back turned on things like that. No. (laughs) A woman named Lucille came to visit the property when it was still undergoing restoration. And there was a giant fence around the whole thing. She and her husband circled it, wishing that they could get closer to the house. While doing that, they spotted someone in the side garden. It was a woman wearing a gray dress and large white bonnet. The couple assumed that it was Lois who owned the property at the time. 
They were invited for tea later that day at the hall with Lois because Lois found out that Lucille was a king descendant. When the couple met Lois, they were perplexed to see her in modern clothing. They mentioned that they had thought they saw her earlier in the garden, and she told them that she had not been in the garden and was the only person on property. So who was the woman in the gray dress? Dun, dun, dun. The lady in gray. Exactly. Diana recounts the experience of a woman who was doing an investigation with her at Barrington Hall in her book. The woman wrote, I passed through a doorless doorway and stopped dead as the sensation of a warm hand applied to my back gave me momentary paralysis. I find it interesting that it was a warm hand. Usually it's a Yeah, that cold is hand. odd. The fine hairs on the back of my neck stood on end. Diana rushed over to her when the woman told her this and she was enveloped in chilled air. Then Diana felt the hands touch her as well, but even more prominently as though she were being hugged from behind. The director of the Georgia Ghost Society, Bob Honeycutt, claims that his hand was touched while investigating the mansion and that it felt as though something squeezed it. There is an ice house out back, too, where many people have had experiences, perhaps because they might have had to store bodies in there after people died. Someone died in a rocking chair in the house that is still there, and people claim that it moves on its own at times. We try to get a look at it through the windows. So this the is- rocking chair is still there, not the body. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> Just it's, to clarify. It's the rocking chair. Did you get a picture of the rocking chair? I did not. Where's the rocking chair? What is this thing? In the back room. Oh. Looks very comfortable. I can see why they would want to just, just die in it. Sit there and die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. back this way, but no rush. Like so that was an ice house that was behind the mansion? That's correct. It was that little white house. Okay. I wouldn't have imagined it having windows and things no. of that nature and if it were an ice house. Yeah, it kind of reminded me when we went to my sister's farm, kind of what the chicken coop or the even the yeah. pig barn were yeah, kind of definitely similar to that. I mean, hers is much larger, but yeah. Yeah. There are now homes built on what used to be Barrington's property, and people in those homes experience paranormal activity too. Most owners have seen the apparition of a tall black man in overalls, perhaps the one that Alice had told us about. The man who founded the Savannah Ghost Talk Ghost Walk had owned a home directly behind Barrington Hall, and he said, I can tell you I have never experienced a location with as much activity as we had in this home in just that year and a half period of time. He often heard music coming out of the woods. An overnight guest awoke one night to find a woman standing by the side of the bed who just disappeared. If you've got somebody who did ghost tours in Savannah saying this is the scariest place he's ever been. Exactly. There's a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah. That's all I got to say. Definitely. The next place we want to talk about is Bullock Hall. Bullock was President Theodore Roosevelt's mother's childhood home. And because of that, he will eventually come to that. Remember the little place where we met the town square Area? Right, with the gazebo and everything? Yeah, he uh-huh. would give a speech there. Oh, very nice. This mansion was built in the early 1840s by the slaves of Major James Stephen Bullock. He would live in this home with his second wife, Martha, and their daughter, Martha, would be Teddy's mother. The Major himself was one of Roswell's first settlers. The mansion is also in the Greek Revival style and was designed by architect Willis Ball also. A unique feature is its temple form architecture with a full pedimented portico. The floor plan is described as four square. The kitchen has a beehive oven and there are 11 fireplaces. So this had a lot of fireplaces in it. Sounds like it. The mansion stayed in the hands of the family in a similar way to Barrington until the 1950s when it was left abandoned. 
The city of Roswell finally purchased it in the 1970s and refurbished it. So for 20 years, it just sat there abandoned. Can you imagine one of these big, beautiful antebellum mansions? No, but I'm so happy that they did restore it. Yes. The Bullock House has an interesting, unexplained thing that happens when it comes to candles. Bullock Hall, you can always go to that wedding. Uh, They sell tickets. It's in December, and they light the entire house by candlelight. But they have a really hard time of getting the candles out. Actually, it takes extra doses. I love your jacket. They actually have to have extra doses because when they extinguish one side of the house or one side of the room and go to uh, extinguish the other one, it relights. They even have to put the candles in water. And that's because a young uh, young girl was drowned in the well, and it was her job to make the candles. Hmm. So she's kind of her way of saying, I'm still here, I'm still present. And that happens. The wedding Alice was referring to was a reenactment of Teddy Roosevelt's parents' wedding that took place here. Margaret Mitchell, who wrote Gone with the Wind, wrote an article about the wedding for the Atlanta Constitution newspaper in 1923. That young girl who drowned was a 14-year-old black girl and is thought to have drowned in the well in the mid-1800s. The well is still here. People claim to hear a girl sobbing by that well. When Bullock Hall is closed for the day, all the lights are extinguished. One night on a tour, the guide remarked that it was weird that the attic light was on since the lights are never on at night. One of the docents for the house happened to be on the tour that night. She said that she had turned everything off and locked up. She drove by the mansion later that evening and saw that the light was off. She was too scared to investigate then, but brought a couple people with her the next day. The security system did not indicate that anyone had been in the house the evening before. Dun, dun, dun. Exactly. An employee at the house saw the spirit of a man dressed in a long, dark coat standing on the stairs. She started walking towards him and he disappeared. She also heard a loud banging that made her and a friend run out of the house after she remarked that she didn't think the house was haunted. That's why you don't tempt the spirits. (laughs) Exactly. The banging reminded her of iron skillets being dropped on the floor. Good grief. That must have been loud. I'm telling you. (laughs) People have also reported seeing the apparition of a young boy wearing knickers running around the front area of the house, both in the yard and along the white fence. The rocking chairs on the front porch sometimes move on their own. There are reconstructed slave quarters in the back, and people say they hear disembodied voices by them. It is believed that the slaves buried their dead on the property in unmarked graves. So maybe that's why we have a little Uh, unrest here. That could be. We had a stop at an old mill house that is nicknamed or kind of known as Catherine's Cottage. Some crazy stuff has happened at this old mill house we passed on our way to the cemetery. April tells the story of all the water issues they've had. You'll have to excuse the dog barking in the background. And Vicky felt the same way because she was going to start a dog com business out of this old mill house. Um, and, uh, and I thought I was going to make a lot of money in advertising. It was a glorious time in the late 90s, early 00s, right? Uh, and so she started to rebuild and she was about to open and she comes in and the whole place is flooded right before she opens. It's some kind of water main break or something they're not sure but it was completely flooded she's like okay she puts in an insurance claim and she starts to rebuild can everyone hear me in the back cool um uh, so she puts the insurance claim gets the money again rebuilds this time she's it's opening day she's opening the front door it's completely flooded and someone has taken an axe to the water heater there's it's been like split in two she puts in another insurance claim, she calls the cops, they can't find any kind of you know, wrongdoing, 
Uh, she rebuilds for a third time. By this time, they're telling her now that she, for have a commercial building, she has to have a sprinkler system. She puts a sprinkler system in. Can anyone guess what happens? Holy floods. You guys are awesome. It's like a sing-along. Fantastic. Um, so she's done, right? Vicky's like, this place is haunted. I want an exorcism. She goes up the street to Jack. He was the original owner of the um, ghost tour. And he goes, you know, before we involve the Catholics, let's get a meeting, right? Before we bring in the culture, yeah, the whole thing. Uh, with the holy water and stuff. So, uh, so Lucy the medium, Lucy doesn't have a so Lucy the medium comes in and she finds that there's five spirits still in the home, five women. Four of them she's able to cross over to the other side, but the fifth one, Catherine, because this is an easy word to memorize, Catherine is still there and she has two complaints. She doesn't like the extension off the back because she can't see her husband coming home from the mill and she doesn't like the fire in the walls. Can anyone guess what the fire in the walls is? Oh, Electricity, yes. But she's like, don't worry, I put it out. Oh. oh. Exactly. So Lucy uh. was able to convince um, Catherine not to keep flooding the place. And they found um, a bunch of relics when they were doing the renovation. So they made her kind of like a shadow box, like uh, homage to Catherine. And they gave her a plaque to kind of calm her down from doing that. So that's right here. They found shoes and keys and all sorts, luckily I'm 5'10", six foot and shoot and heels, in case anyone's single. My online date when I go, oh y'all! You see me, this is it? You're not going to see a filter. She's hilarious. But this is, also, so the law firm that owns it, one night when it was raining, the law firm was working late and they let the tour in. And he goes, Catherine is still technically alive and well in spirit form in the house. She likes to flush the toilet on her own. She likes to run the water. She is a water fetish. But the main thing is that if any of his lawyers work late, they feel a presence over them. Because when the sun goes down, her husband's coming home, and this is her house, and they need to be on their way. So that's the story of Catherine and Fire in the Walls of this home. We're going to continue this way. I love the description of electricity in the walls as fire in the walls. That is so cool because she really doesn't know what else to call it because she right. has no conception of electricity. Exactly. And so I'm wondering now when we hear about water issues in other places, if you don't have some spirits that are doing the same thing, thinking they're putting the fire out. You never know. I mean, she did have a thing with water, period. It yeah. sounded like. Thankfully, <laughs> they got, the toilet her, and everything. got her pee so she's not flooding the place anymore. Exactly. But isn't it amazing to hear that story that it was like somebody had taken an axe to the water heater? Yeah, I don't know. That's really bizarre. I mean, again, I always wonder about these ghosts who have some kind of physicality that they can do that kind of damage. And where did she get the axe? And and that would be something she would have used in her time. Yes. Next, we got to go inside the Founders Cemetery. This was a lot of fun. I love being able to go into cemeteries on ghost tours. There's just something about being in a cemetery at night that's amazing. It's one of my favorites, too. And it's usually the only time you can go into a cemetery at night as if you're on a tour. The Founders Cemetery was established in 1840 and burials continued here until 1860. We got to go inside and wander around. The coolest thing in there for us was that really old tree stump. Do you remember that? And the kids were sitting on it. I do. It was huge. It was was a huge tree stump. You could have probably sat maybe our whole group on it. It was that big. Just about. Yeah. I do have a picture of Christy's kids on it. Do you? Okay. We'll be sure to put that up on Instagram. 
This was the original burial ground for Roswell and was connected to the Roswell Presbyterian Church and has 28 grave markers, mostly for the founders of Roswell and some of their slaves. There are many more unmarked graves, and a geophysical survey in 1984 found 65 graves. The first burial was for Charles Irving Bullock, who was two years old when he died of scarlet fever in 1841 when there was an outbreak in the town. There are also burials for John Dunwoody, Roswell King, and James Bullock. And the interesting thing about this cemetery, Kelly, is the fact that they did have their slaves buried with them. It was not segregated. Yeah, that is pretty unique. To have the slaves in with the founders and the rich people, that's pretty amazing. Now, the key thing about this cemetery is that what is there today is about a third of the original cemetery. And there are homes all around the cemetery. So, yeah, homes were built over the burials. Just in case people are thinking, well, maybe they moved all the bodies. Nope, they found bodies when they're excavating and trying to get in and do expansions and things to the house. Yeah, don't plan on putting in a pool. No. (laughs) They're here. A family lived across the street from the cemetery, but not in a place where they could see the graveyard. They decided to widen their driveway and the workmen unearthed a casket Mm -hmm. on the furthest area out. The person was given a proper burial. But the disruption to a peaceful, deathly slumber seems to lead to other disruptions with electrical things. Anytime a car is parked on this part of the driveway, the battery discharges, and if the engine is running, it will stop running. The battery draining also affects electronics used in that area. Neighbors to the cemetery claim to hear disembodied talking at all times of the day and night, and when they investigate, they find no one around. The cemetery is said to drain batteries too, but we didn't have any problems on our tour and took many pictures of the headstones and such. I had a great time walking through that cemetery with Connor and showing him all the different symbols on the headstones. And Yeah, he was really into it. He was trying to read them because a lot of them were really, really worn. You could barely read them. Yeah, I, I did have a hard time. I was trying to figure out what they said, too. And I did get a really weird picture with him standing in front of one of the headstones reading it, and there was this red streak that was kind of between him and the, the headstone. I don't know what that was. It was just a weird anomaly or what? Then we went to the public house. The most haunted place in downtown Roswell is said to be the former general store that is now known as the old public house. Building was constructed in 1854 and carried most everything people would need for supplies except for liquor. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you gotta have that. I know. I'm like, you can get a shovel, no beer. (laughs) The Roswell Manufacturing Company ran the commissary. During the Civil War, it was a Confederate hospital. After the war, it went back to being a store. The building eventually became a really popular upscale restaurant in the 1980s and 1990s, known as the Public House Restaurant, which is where it gets its name. And then it became Jay Christopher's Restaurant. There's a story dating back to the time of the Civil War about a Union soldier named Michael and a young woman named Catherine who worked at the store. Many versions are told, but the basics of the story are that the two fell in love and that Michael dies either in battle through being struck by lightning or is hanged by Confederates. Catherine then hangs herself. The couple are said to haunt the building. People see them dancing through an upstairs window. But they aren't the only spirits here. People claim that there are eight entities in this building. That's quite a few. There it is. A piano in the upstairs area plays by itself. When employees go to investigate, the tinkling of the keys immediately stops and they find the cover down on the keys. A bartender claimed that one night he was in the restaurant with only a manager and that he was upstairs cleaning glasses while the manager was downstairs. He finished drying the glasses and hung them in their places over the bar. He went to get his jacket and keys, and when he passed the bar, he saw that every glass was standing upright 
back on the bar counter. It's like, gosh, I got to do all my work again. Yeah, I, I would probably get a little bit irritated if it happened regularly. Yes. Liquor bottles would also be found turned backward the following day. Employees would claim that chairs would be taken down off of tables after they'd been put up for the night. A woman claimed to feel a very cold air envelop her when she went upstairs and the hair on the arm of her male companion stood on end. Employees avoid the upstairs as much as possible. And this is another place with a really haunted women's restroom. Why does that always seem to be the case? Can't, I mean, we already have to wait in long lines compared to the men. So can't we just have a spirit-free bathroom? <laughs> I know. I did a haunted bathrooms episode for a bonus cast. And then we've talked about haunted bathrooms in a lot of different places. And it always seems to be the women's restroom. I know. It was like that in Alaska. Ghosts have aversions to urinals. I think we could state that as oh, a fact. Oh, maybe. David is the new owner of the Roswell Ghost Tour. He used to manage Jay Christopher's and Alice told us this. It's the reason oh, that David bought the Roswell Ghost Tour because he was the manager there of Jay Christopher's. He oh, didn't wow. believe in this before. He thought it was all a bunch of smoke and mirrors, a Roswell Ghost Tour, until he worked there and experienced eight different entities to the point that when he, finally they were kind of kicked out, they raised the rent. On New Year's Eve, he stayed 30 minutes to kind of close up and say goodbye. The next morning, the landlord, the new landlord calls him and goes, what did you do? He's like, I didn't do anything. What are you talking about? There was a rock from inside breaking the glass out. Huh. He had locked up and no one was in there. So he feels that was the entities not happy with Jay Christopher's language. Yeah, I guess so. We apologize because of the traffic noises in that soundbite, but if you couldn't hear that real clearly, Alice said that the owner of the building found a rock thrown through a window only it was coming from inside the building, not the outside in. So it was like somebody took a rock from the inside and threw it out. And of course, he thought since they were kicking David out, basically, because they'd raise the rent, that he had damaged the window in some sure. way. And isn't that crazy? You have this wonderful restaurant that's been there this whole time and you raise the rent. Now you're going to lose them. I'm like, OK, well, I hope you can get somebody else in there. Yeah, what a pain. Another former manager of Jay Christopher's quit abruptly after an experience she had upstairs. This area was not open to customers, so she had gone up there to take a break. There were three large wing chairs there, and she sat in one and closed her eyes. She heard the springs in the chair next to her squeak, so she opened her eyes to see who joined her. There was no one sitting next to her, but she clearly saw an indentation in the chairs as though someone were there. Then the apparition materialized, and she saw a man in a Confederate uniform. He looked at her, and she screamed and ran from the building and never came back. This ghost is seen often. Another employee had brought her four-year-old with her to the building, and she left her by the stairs while she went to the office. When she returned, she heard her daughter talking to someone. When her daughter saw her, she said, You just scared the nice man. He had a neat costume on with lots of buttons. Very cool. The buildings connected to the restaurant have had many unexplained things happen as well. They all used to be part of the store and hospital, and there had been a funeral parlor in one of the shops years ago. There had been an old theater in one of the upper shops that showed silent movies and a live piano player would accompany the movies. He often complained of really cold spots enveloping him. A Confederate soldier was also seen in the theater. The funeral home had been next to the theater, so many spirits wandered over from there. A former bank still has its vault in one of the shops, and this is used for storage, but employees feel really uncomfortable in it. Nobody likes to be in any parts of the buildings alone. There are a few other buildings in the Roswell Historic District that have had strange things happen in them. One former Millhouse duplex housed a beauty salon, and employees did not like being in the building alone. The house had been built in the 1840s and was the scene of two tragedies. 
One was a suicide in which a woman slit her own throat in front of the fireplace when she heard the Union forces were rounding up all the women and children. The other was apparently the murder of a woman by a Union soldier. People claim to see the full-bodied apparitions of women in this home. And there are other stories to be told, we are sure. We had a great time on this ghost tour and recommend it if you were in the Atlanta area. Is Roswell, Georgia haunted? That That is for you to to decide. decide. Well, Kelly, we had a great time there. It was so neat meeting up with listeners. We love doing that. It really is a lot of fun. We encourage you guys to check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. We got an email from Jen. So my experience at the Missouri State Penitentiary. My sister and I went to tour it as part of a ghost hunt with some of the TAPS crew. Amy, Adam, Steve, and Tango were there. And Jason was supposed to be, but had a last minute family emergency and didn't make it. So there was another paranormal investigator added, but I can't remember who it was. There were maybe 50 people as part of the event, and we were split into two smaller groups and rotated through various hotspots, with one of the TAPS people facilitating each hotspot. In the infirmary with Adam, we had some good contact with flashlights. If there's someone here, can you turn on the left flashlight? But my big experience was at the end of the night in the main cell block. Think of the stereotypical old prison cell block you've seen in every TV and movie. Big rectangular building, a couple of levels of cell blocks around the perimeter with railings, overlooking a big open area in the center. That's what this place looked like. One particular cell on the second level has lots of stories of hauntings. If I remember the history correctly, and it's been probably six or seven years ago now, so I might be a bit rusty, an inmate was fatally stabbed in that cell, but he didn't die there. He managed to crawl out of the cell over to the stairwell. The cell was just two or three in from the stairwell and partway down the stairs before he died. There's supposed to be activity in that stairwell also. My sister and I were in the cell asking questions and trying to get some EVPs. When we finished, we just stepped out of the cell and leaned on the railing, looking down on the big open area. So the door of the cell is directly behind us and the space for walking, the hallway isn't quite the right word, but you get the point, outside the cell was fairly narrow. Maybe two people could walk side by side. We were just watching things, not talking. Then I felt a gentle touch on my shoulder and at the same instant, my sister and I stepped apart to let that person come out of the cell. Except... There was no one in the cell. We had a brief conversation along the lines of, you also thought someone was coming out of the cell, right? It wasn't just me, right? Okay, I think we're done here. Time to not be here anymore. I don't think she felt a touch, but I sure did. Just a light touch like, hey, don't back up. I'm going to squeeze past you. Wow, what a cool experience. Very cool. And then we heard from Lucy, who is in New Zealand. I recently stumbled upon your podcast on Spotify, and I'm hooked. I was so pleasantly surprised to see you had an episode on New Zealand, Glowworm Caves. I have been to the caves as a child, but never stayed at the hotel, which I will be doing when I head down south. Thanks again for teaching me more about my own country. I am by no means an authority on paranormal New Zealand, but I'm just an interested listener. I'm not a member of any paranormal group yet. There are some other very creepy places in New Zealand, some featuring Maori history. And uh, so she's going to check into some other places to check out for us. Very cool. Yeah, we'd love to hear what your experiences are. Thanks for writing, Lucy. We heard from Darren. Your podcast has been my recent listening obsession during my work week and train commute. I really love history and understatement and am intrigued by the idea of ghostly activity. I would time travel if it were possible just to experience, observe elements of the past times, which makes me wonder if some ghostly apparitions are at least in part timelines colliding, crossing over, since time and space isn't linear or constant. I'm very science-minded and not a strong subscriber of religion or supernatural realms. However, me and my family have had some interesting and unexplained experiences. One in particular sticks with me vividly. I was 10, almost 11 years old, staying with my dad for the weekend. 
was having difficulty sleeping since some kids from school had scared me about it being Friday the 13th. After lying awake in bed for what felt like eternity, I decided to go talk to my dad. I walked to his open bedroom door, called out his name, and a woman stepped into the doorway from inside his room. I initially assumed it was my dad's girlfriend, now wife, who didn't live with us at the time but would occasionally visit after we went to bed. I called out for my dad again. She then placed her finger to her lips and said, Shh, he's sleeping. I responded, Okay, Becky, and turned to go back to my room. My dad then rolled over and asked me who I was talking to. When I turned back around to answer Becky, the woman was gone. I don't remember feeling scared during this encounter, but thinking about it now still gives me goosebumps and I can so vividly remember her appearance and our interaction. Also, as it turns out, Becky was out of town visiting her sister on the East Coast that weekend. Wow, that's amazing. Other incidences or possible ghostly encounters my family is hap. My family has experienced are a blue haze that would appear in the hallway of my mom's old house, particularly at night or early mornings. A phantom man my stepdad swore he accidentally hit driving early one morning on a vacant county road, but could find no evidence of the man or any damage to his car. He even called the cops to investigate. Oh my gosh. The vision of my stepmom's deceased boss, who unexpectedly died of an aneurysm at 40 years old, was seen sitting in my parents' bedroom when my stepmom woke up one morning for work three weeks after her passing. That would be weird to have your boss show up in your room. Sounds like he's got some sensitive people in his family. Something. They've got crazy stuff attracted to him. He said, it's a funny thing to think about and always has me wondering about the unknowns of our world, universe, dimension, etc. However, I digress, really enjoy the show and look forward to binging on more episodes as they come. And I just told him that the time loop thing, we talk about that all the time on here. Sure. That might be why we see some of this residual stuff or you see a ghost in period clothing. It's them in their time period. Exactly. Some kind of rip there. We have these people always talking about coincidences. Maya wrote, I was catching up with your podcast and the subject of coincidences came up on one of them, which, of course, we just call those synchronicities. Exactly. I've had many in my life, enough that I don't believe these are just random events. So even though I'm a bit late to the party, I thought I'd share a couple with you. The first is the most trivial and the second is the eeriest. Jane Smith, fake name, and I've been friends for almost 30 years. A few years ago, she moved about 150 miles away, but we still keep in touch because we both have busy schedules. We rarely talk on the phone. Instead, we find it much more convenient to text, which we do a few times per month. Anyway, shortly before Christmas, we received a card in the mail from her. I opened it and put it on the kitchen table so my husband could also see it. A few minutes later, he came into the kitchen, picked up the card and said, Oh, nice, Jane Smith. He was barely finished saying the word Smith when my phone rang. It was Jane Smith. I know, not exactly earth shattering, but the three of us found it a bit strange. Well, certainly, since they don't contact each other by calling all that often. Yeah, they mostly text. And that made me think of, you know, when you're singing a song and you turn on the radio and that song's on. Her ears were burning. (laughs) The next one happened a few years ago. I was working at an insurance agency that employed about 15 people. At least half of the employees attended the same church, so the church secretary would often call the agency with church news. And then our receptionist would make a general announcement for anyone who might be interested. It was usually a reminder about an upcoming potluck dinner or someone having a baby, you know, typical church news. My job involved the computers, and one day my boss, Dave, another coworker, and I were huddled around one of the systems, rather intensely working on some documentation. Completely out of the blue, Dave asked us, Do either of you know anyone who turns into King Kong after he's had a few drinks? I have a friend who thinks he's a real beast if he has a few drinks. My coworker and I were both surprised at the abrupt change of subject, but we laughed and decided it was time to take a break. All three of us stood up to stretch our tensed muscles. Just then, our receptionist interrupted with an announcement from the church. One of the members had been killed in a car accident. Dave was a member of the church, so it didn't surprise me when he turned pale and slumped into a chair. 
I put my hand on his shoulder to comfort him while my coworker went to get him some water. He was quiet and clearly in shock for what seemed like several minutes. When he finally was able to speak, he basically said, you know the friend I just told you about who turns into King Kong when he drinks? That's the guy who was killed. Wow. Yeah, just happened to be talking about him at the same time. I have my own opinion on these incidents, but obviously I can't offer any scientific data to support my point of view, so I won't turn this into an editorial. I'll just close with this. Are these random events or is something supernatural at work? That is for you to decide. I love it when listeners end things like that. (laughs) I do too. Samantha and the crew had written, So I just heard episode 132 where you're relaying the story about the skull in the safe. I wanted to share my family has a skull that's handed down for guardianship duties in my family. It was discovered on my family's property in New York. It was originally examined by the museum in Albany and returned to our family with vague dating, and now he sits in his protective case in my home as a member of my family. It's definitely bizarre, but I wanted to share my crazy family responsibility and my family member. Yes, he's like family to me as I was raised with him in my grandmother's, my mother's, and now my life. Every time I would visit, I'd want to say hello to him. I'm in the process of having it examined more thoroughly, and hopefully I can find out where he belongs once and for all. Now, not only is that a really fascinating story, but she happened to post that in the crew the same day we dropped Hammond Castle, and they have a skull in a box in the right, castle. Right, right. Just thought that was a little bit of synchronicity there, synchronicity too. Synchronicity all the way. And it is a little bit bizarre, but I think it's really great that they made this person a part of their family. I mean, talk about being inclusive. Very cool. And then Kate and the crew wrote, I rent a writer's studio at a local art studio, and it's in an older building, probably built in the mid-1800s, if I had to guess. Normally, I'm there when there are a lot of other people here at the other stores and shops in the building. My son and I got there around mid-afternoon, but everyone left about an hour ago. I was writing, and he was working on his art. We both heard a little girl laugh. He made me go investigate. We were definitely the only two people in the entire building, so we decided it was time to call it a night. I can understand that. (laughs) So can I. Well, we want to thank you guys for tuning in for this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to welcome into the cemetery, Laura Lee Todd. We're going to be burying you under a marble headstone. Darren Koch, we're going to be burying you under an obelisk headstone. And Nicole Cartarelli, you're going to be put into a chest tomb. Welcome back. Thanks for the support, guys. Want to keep the spooks away? Give us a review. Very few emails. Emails? <laughs> it's not my day. I'm so exhausted. Very few emus were dispatched, and they are plentiful today. There is a three sided pizza as well. Piazza. Jesus. <laughs> How do you make a three sided pizza? Well, pizzas do have three Legos sides. Legos were always That's really funny. challenging for me. <laughs> Trying to.
to envision how to create. Can there. you live in a pizza? Stop it. <laughs> Can you imagine an architect just slapping a pizza on the side of a house? You and better going, not play this. Your, We've been working our pizza. butts off in the sun, working on getting that yard done. We oh. are very tired from working in the yard. <laughs> I'm exhausted. 